today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. The enemy would probably be whispering into their ear saying something along the line, you know, if you would simply soften up your message a little bit, perhaps the persecution wouldn't be quite as severe. Just back off a little bit. Maybe the enemy whispered in their ear, if you would just lighten this thing up a little bit, lighten it up about sin and repentance, Paul. Man, if you weren't speaking about sin and repentance, you could pack the stadium out. You could get a multitude of people to come in. Problem was, his message then wouldn't be worth hearing. Paul had no desire to be a man pleaser. Paul and the early Christians faced severe persecution. Many Christians around the world today face similar circumstances. In today's message, Pastor David reminds us that the gospel is outrageous and offensive to those not yet ready to listen. If you're being bold for Christ, you will run into those who oppose you. The truth of Jesus cannot be watered down, or it no longer means anything. People need to hear about Christ and their own need for Him, just as they did back in Paul's day. Now here's Pastor David in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 with part 1 of today's message entitled, Our Glory and Joy. morning's message is, at least at the beginning, hopefully to really and truly make you think about your personal commitment to Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, I'll ask you the question right off. Where would your faith or where would your commitment to Christ be if when you were first introduced to Jesus, you would have known for absolute certain that if you made a commitment to Jesus, you would continually face extreme and even perhaps fatal or lethal persecution for your faith. From the voice of the martyrs, we read, in Zanzibar, a young boy who is one of only two Christians at his school in Zanzibar has been punished by teachers and continually bullied by students because of his faith in Jesus. One day, a group of Muslim boys locked him in an outhouse for several hours. On another day, they held him down and forced him to drink human urine. The Muslim boys were never punished. But what about your faith? What if your faith was at risk of your personal freedom if you were to try and find a, a, an opportunity to, again, gather with other believers in worship just like we are today? In China, 
Authorities throughout China work to shut down Christmas Eve services and other holiday activities in late December, going so far as to arrest three believers two days before, G- before Christmas on illegal publication charges. Several churches were warned that if they gathered in unapproved locations, their church buildings would be destroyed. House churches were forbidden from celebrating Christmas. And in Hassan, Guangdong, even a government-run church felt the pressure as surveillance cameras were installed to monitor its Christmas activities. How strong would your faith be if the Bible that you hopefully have in your lap this morning was outlawed by the government or perhaps the religious sect that controlled your government? Kyrgyzstan. Islamic militants threw Molotov cocktails through windows of the Evangelical Christian Baptist Church in Kajanse early on January 3rd. Although the inside of the church was badly damaged by the resulting fire, an open Bible on the altar survived the flames, even though the altar cloth itself was completely destroyed. In addition, firefighters discovered several bottles full of gasoline that did not ignite. Viewing these as a sign from God, church members have been encouraged to stand firm in their faith. We now move into chapter two of 1 Thessalonians as we're moving verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book of 1 and 2 Thessalonians. And here the the apostle Paul reminds the church of Thessalonica that, that, that prior to coming to them, that he and the entire ministry team had been persecuted and attacked by the non-believing Jews in Philippi. And then, then even as they ministered the word of God once they got to Thessalonica, the persecution continued as those Jews from Philippi came down to Thessalonica and again continued to press with persecution against them for preaching the hope of the gospel. We are in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul writes to the church. He says, for you yourselves understand, or you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you is not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. To describe the uh, treatment that they had received there in Philippi, Paul uses the words, uh, we've, we suffered before. He's not talking about the fact that uh, they were just uh, mean-spirited toward them, that they just gave them a, a bit of a hard time for meeting. He, he also says that, that we, we suffered The very word that he uses there means actual physical pain and suffering. Not just having a hard time, not just having a difficulty, but actual physical pain that they endured because they preached the gospel in Philippi. Then he also writes that they were spitefully treated. And again, that's not just saying that they're calling him names or they locked him out of the synagogue. No, we understand that 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 word spitefully treated means actually an, an excess of, of, of violent abuse that was going on against them. As a matter of fact, we, we looked at this a few weeks ago. I'm gonna invite you once again, keep your place here in Thessalonians. Turn to the left, back to the book of Acts. Go to chapter 16. Kind of understand what Paul is writing here to them 
says, hey, you know, we, 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 we suffered, we were spitefully treated. Well, what's he saying there? What actually took place? In Acts chapter 16, look down in verse 22. He says, then the multitude rose up together against them. The multitude of the non-believing Jews rose up against Paul and the ministry team. And the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Suffered before, spitefully treated, I should say so. They, they, they were very much so. Simply because they wanted to share the hope of the gospel with the lost and dying people that were around them. Where it says here that the magistrate tore off their clothes. That wasn't that the magistrates ripped their own robes. No, they tore the clothes off of Paul and these other uh, ministry team members. And it says that they beat them with rods. I was going to bring a, uh, a rod in here, a stick to kind of, again, kind of demonstrate and show what, what it is to be. But I couldn't find any volunteer to uh, uh, help me show you that. But uh, you can just imagine that, that again, with the clothes taken off your back and then someone with, with a rod just beating you, beating you, and beating you. It says that they laid many stripes on them and they threw them into the inner prison and they fastened their feet in stocks. Well, you probably know that story that as Paul and Silas began, even in that situation, began praising the Lord around midnight the Lord caused an earthquake to, to come and loose the stocks, open up the prison cells. So with all of that, once they were freed from prison again by that miraculous hand of God, after they had spoken that next morning with the magistrates, Paul and his team left Philippi. It wasn't because they wanted to, but it seemed the wiser of the options for the furtherance of the gospel and again for the immediate protection of these, this new group of believers there in Philippi. I believe Paul understood that as he and the, the ministry team were, were if, as, as they left at that point in time, that the persecution might lessen for the church of Philippi, at least for a season. We know that it wouldn't continue. But one thing you do need to understand here is that Paul and the team, they, they weren't running from the persecution or the trials of Philippi. They're actually moving on to the completion of ministry. He and the team went on over to Thessalonica, not too far from Philippi. As soon as they got to Thessalonica, right away, they sought the opportunity to be able to share the gospel. And so Paul went again into the synagogues. And he, he tells us here back in Thessalonians, he says that, man, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God even in much conflict. Now, to help the church understand the intensity of the press that, that, that was all around them with the work of the ministry, Paul tells them they spoke the gospel of God in much conflict. Looking again at the choice of words that the Holy Spirit gives Paul to speak there. That idea of much conflict, he's speaking about this long, this plenteous, this, this abundant conflict. The word that he uses for conflict is the Greek word agon. We get our word agony or agonize from it. 
And it has with it the idea of a conflict or a fight or uh, a, a race or a contention. It carries with it the meaning of a physical confrontation or being pressed to the limit of our physical endurance. Paul says that's what we endured for the gospel. Why? Because they felt compelled by God to share the hope of the gospel with those around them that didn't know Christ. All of this for the sake of presenting the gospel message. Paul presented the message then for three Sabbaths there at the synagogue in in Thessalonica. It was at that point in time then they were they were literally they were they were pushed out of the synagogue and again he he would not let the persecution he would not let the sufferings or the trials that they faced in Philippi soften or change the focus of the message that they were presenting to the people there in Thessalonica. Look what he says here still in Thessalonians down in verse 3. He says, for our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. I'm sure after all the persecution, all the trial that Paul had in Philippi and after the ministry team had experienced these things, that the the enemy would probably be whispering into their ear saying something along the line, you know, if you would simply soften up your message a little bit, perhaps the persecution wouldn't be quite as severe. Just back off a little bit. Maybe the enemy whispered in their ear, if you would just lighten this thing up a little bit, lighten it up about sin and repentance, Paul. Man, if you weren't speaking about sin and repentance, you could pack the stadium out. You could get a multitude of people to come in. The problem was his message then wouldn't be worth hearing. Paul had no desire to be a man pleaser. Because he wasn't a man pleaser, unfortunately, he kind of gained the reputation of being a little too harsh, both in that day and in this day. People look at the message or the teachings of Paul and said, man, he's just a little too harsh for me. I want something more gentle, more friendly. But you know what? Paul wasn't concerned about pleasing man. It was all about pleasing the Savior. Paul wasn't willing to change the message because he was too concerned about the eternal condition of the men's souls that he ministered to. Paul also knew that if he lessened the message, if he softened up the message, he would lessen the impact and the validity of the call that God had on his life. Paul was called from that Damascus road and he says, he, he, he told Ananias as he sent him to go and minister to Paul following that time, he says, I'm gonna show him how many things he must suffer for the gospel's sake. Paul got into this thing knowing it was not going to be a sweet ride. It was gonna be a difficult thing because he's pressing against the culture of his time with the reality and the truth of a gospel message that unfortunately men don't want to hear the entirety of the message. Man wants to hear that God loves them. That's good. That's that's cool. I'm glad God loves me. Man does not want to hear that you're a sinner. You need to repent and you need to dedicate and commit your life to Christ. Why, I'm my own man. I I captain my own ship. I'm, I'm in charge of my own journey. That's the heart. That's the attitude of most men. 
They don't want to humble themselves to the reality. No, no. the greatness of God's love for you commands, demands that you surrender your life to him. The people of Paul's day and back even in the Old Testament, the people of Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel's day, even the people today, mankind in general would much rather be entertained They'd much rather listen to the, the gentle sounds of someone who comes and, and tickles their ears than to face the truth of their sins, their need for repentance, and the reality that the only available way to be cleansed of their sins is a surrendered heart to Jesus Christ. Paul says in verse five, he says, for neither at any time did we use flattering words as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, neither from you or from others, when we might have made demands even as apostles of Christ. Paul was never one to flatter someone in order to gain favor or to gain somebody's attention. You think about it, even on Mars Hill, all, all the philosophers, and he went up there and he said, I, I perceive that you are very religious. And you need to understand, Paul wasn't using flattery. There were these, these statues and emblems of a multitude of gods up there. They were very religious. Paul zeroed right in. He says, but I've come to speak to you about the unknown God, the statue that you have for that unknown God. No, Paul didn't flatter people. Paul was direct and, and precise because he knew the importance of the message that he had to bring. He didn't use flattery because flattery was in such rampant use within the Roman Empire, particularly in political circles. Paul delivered the truth of the gospel. He declared it in a very straightforward manner without apology, and yet we also see this great humility within the apostle's life. He could have come in like a, a gospel stormtrooper. I mean, just barreling his way in and saying, this is what you need and this is what is declared. But again, Paul didn't claim or didn't use his position as an apostle of the Lord, insisting that within the church no, he came in again, speaking the word of God in truth. He was able to speak that word. He was able to share with the people of that region and, and the, 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 the simplicity of that love and that hope that's found in the death, burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse seven, he says, we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children so affectionately longing for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. We read in the book of Acts that Paul wasn't able to spend a great deal of time there in Thessalonica. Three Sabbaths, he ministered there at the synagogue. For a short time after that, ministered at the house of Jason until the non-believing Jews from Philippi came down and brought further persecution to them. But in that short time, there was this deep bond that came about with the church. He, he uses these words, affectionately longing, that you're so dear to us. Paul and that ministry team understood and there was a connection there. And Paul used the opportunity for that short window of time to do an abundant amount of ministry. Look what he says in verse nine. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil. 
for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. Every opportunity, I believe, during that time, every opportunity that he had, Paul presented the hope of the gospel. Verse 10, you are witnesses in God also how devotely and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. Paul understood that the way that he lived his life mattered when he's trying to present the reality and the truth of the gospel. He goes on, verse 11, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul lived his life in such a way and he called for the church to live their life in such a way that it would bring honor and glory to Christ, whatever the situation that they fell into. If you fall into great persecution because of your faith, live your life, receive that persecution, work through that trial in a way that brings honor and glory to Christ because the world would be looking at them, the world would test them to see the validity of their faith. That's the same idea that he shared with the church in Ephesus when he told the church there in Ephesus, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Walk with all lowliness, walk with gentleness, walk with long suffering, walk bearing with one another in love, walk endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Paul is telling us that the way that we live our lives in good times and in bad times, in times of of, of great prosperity, in times of great struggle, that the way that we live our lives is a testimony to the world. It's not just the message of the gospel, it's the life of the gospel that people need to see. They need to hear the message but they need to see it lived out in you. That's why he told the church of Colossia, he told them, walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthening with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. Seems like an oxymoron, doesn't it? Long suffering, but with joy. Love it, it matters how you and I live out our Christian life and our testimony. It matters to the one who's redeemed us because by our lives, by our words, by our actions, we bring glory to his name or we dishonor the very Lord who saved us. We either live our lives for his glory or we live our lives in dishonor of who he is. It also matters to the world around us because the testimony of our lives more often than not is much louder than the words of our lives. And the testimony of our lives, as I've shared with you on multiple occasions, is a witness of the reality of God and his faithfulness to redeem, to restore, and to reconcile humanity to himself through faith in Christ. We live that out for the world to see, or we don't live it out, and the world figures Christianity is a sham. It matters to the one who's redeemed us. It matters to the world around us. But, beloved, it also matters to the well-being of our own lives 
both here on earth as well as our position and place in glory for all eternity. As followers of Jesus, we will face persecution in this world. There are many who refuse to acknowledge the truth and perfect love of the Savior, and thanks to the influence of the enemy, they'll try to thwart our attempts to share the gospel. This isn't a new development, however. Persecution of Jesus' disciples has happened since the beginning. But that doesn't mean we have to give in to the taunts and misleading teaching. We can be like the Thessalonian church of which we've been studying with Pastor David, becoming examples to those around us who believe. You never know who may be watching and who might come to know Jesus through your perseverance. We are so glad you tuned in today to Pastor David's teaching on the open word, and we pray you've been encouraged. Would you like to hear more messages from this series in the book of 1 Thessalonians? Pastor David's here to tell you how. Hey, thanks, Chris. All the messages you enjoyed here on The Open Word are available on our website. Just visit theopenword.com and click on Teachings. You can scroll through our archive and listen online, or you can download the teachings to take with you on the go. I've even provided my notes for most of the teachings so you can read right along. You might see something new your ears may have missed. Feel free to share any of my teachings if you feel it would benefit a friend or a family member. That website, one more time, is theopenword.com. Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for joining us today for The Open Word.